turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. That's where we're going to be uh, in these next few moments is 1 Peter chapter 4. Last week we talked about and we started a new sermon series around the idea of the church being essential. The church is essential to our lives. It's essential to our communities. It's essential to our family. It's essential to our society. You cannot overstate the importance of the church in our lives, in our homes, and in our families. It is essential that the church gather together in person and spend time with other believers. This is the way God designed it. And you see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25. God designed the church to be a gathering of people coming together in person. This is the example we've seen in the church really for the past 2,000 years. Since the church began, you've seen believers gathering together in person, going from home to home, gathering together for the past 2,000 years. This has been the example that we've had throughout church history. And then even still, in these days, in countries where Christians face persecutions, they still gather together. Even when it's against the law, the church gathers anyway. So the point is, the church is important in our lives, and it's always been meant to gather together. But the church is not a building, it's a body. The church is not a place, it's a people. The church, uh, the first church was, was not made up of four walls and a roof. The first church was made up of 12 disciples who followed Jesus. It was made up of people. The church is a gathering of people, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Last week, we talked about the importance of the church to our lives. This week, we're going to be talking about the importance of our lives to the church. This is really an, an important distinction because we would all, the, all agree that the, the church is important to our lives. The church is important to our families, to our homes, to our communities, and to our society. We would all agree to that. But did you know, and this is what often isn't talked about enough, is that you are important to the church, your life is important to the church. So it's like a, the like, it's like a hospital. I'm heard, I'm sure you've heard many times that the, the church is like a hospital. The church is like a hospital. The church is like a hospital. We all need healing from the great physician. If we're going with this metaphor, the great physician is Jesus Christ. We all need healing from Jesus, the great physician. And if you're a believer this morning, then that means that you have been healed by the great physician. That means you have been uh, saved by Jesus Christ. He's healed your soul, and now you have a home in heaven. Now you have the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer this morning, then you've been healed by the great physician. But did you know that once we all have been healed by the great physician in this hospital because of the church, we have now been hired by the great physician to serve along with him. So if you've been healed, you've been hired. You're now part of the surgical staff of Jesus Christ. You're now part of the staff of this great physician at this hospital, the church. If you're a believer this morning, you are now hired help. Now you are part of the process of healing. You are engaged into the healing process that Jesus, the great physician, is uh, allowing to happen and take place at the church, the hospital. If we've been healed, we've been hired. You're now part of the surgical staff. You're now part of the healing process in this world. If you're a believer this morning, you have a specific role in the church, an essential role in the church. So the question is, what's your role? 
The question is, what is it that God has for you to do in his hospital, the church? And we see this, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 8. Look at that this morning if you have your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 4, it's in the New Testament, in verse number 8. This is what the Apostle Peter says. He says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So here Paul is writing to many churches in what we know as modern-day Turkey. And Peter prefaces verse number 8 by saying, above all things. So Peter is about to say something important. Everything he said in this passage is coming up to what he's about to say. And what he's about to say, he says, is above all things. So what does Peter say? when he says, this is above all things. That means that what he's about to say is important. It, it, it means we should listen this morning to what, Paul's, to, to what Peter is about to say. Above all things, he says, have charity one for another. Have charity for each other. You know, our first and greatest role as believers is to have charity. God has charged us to have charity in, in this hospital, the church, our first and greatest role, our first and greatest job description, if you will, in this hospital, the church, is to have charity for other believers, is to have charity for all people. We can have faith. We can have hope. We can have knowledge. We can even have the right beliefs and the right theology, but charity is the most important thing we can have. Above all things, we're to have love and charity for others. And maybe you're wondering, why? Why does, why does the Apostle Peter, why is the scriptures here, why does it use the word charity and not love? Right? Why doesn't he just use the word love? Why does he use the word charity? And here's why. It's because often love is, it's an attitude. We think of it more as a disposition. We think of it, love as more of a, a feeling. Charity, charity is an act. Charity is uh, an action. You see, charity is the character of love. This is the most important role for us, the church, to act. That's what charity is. It's the act of love. It's the character of love. It, it put, puts movement to love. You see, our most important job description as believers is to act, to do, to have charity. You know, if I said to my spouse, I love you, and I told her every single day I loved her, but... I never displayed that love in any way. I, I said, I love you to my spouse. I said, I love you, but we never had a date night. We never spent time together. We never had a movie night together. I never helped out with the chores. You never took, uh, took care of the kids for her or him. You know, I could say I love you all I want, but if there's no action to it, well, then what does it really mean? You see, and that's what charity is. As the church, above all things, our job is to have charity. It's to act in love, not just to have the attitude of love, the disposition of love, a feeling of love, but to act in love, to move in love. There is a difference between love as an attitude and love as an action. 
And this is so important for us as the church because we can say, oh, I love others. Well, I love that person. I want to love that person like Jesus. But if I don't have action behind that statement, you see, that's where charity comes in. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, charity is love put to deeds. It's like the story of uh, of a wife that uh, I heard of one time who came to a, a minister. And this wife came to the minister and, and uh, this wife said to this minister, you know, I am just so irritated with my husband. I want to divorce him. And not only do I want to divorce him, I want him, I want him to feel as hurt as I am. And this minister, obviously a wise old man, has, has the wisdom of Solomon. He said to her, here's what you need to do. He had this ingenious plan. He, he told this, he told this woman, he said, what you need to do is you need to go home. If you really want to stick it to your husband and divorce him, if you really want to hurt him, go home. And for the next couple of months, act as if you loved your husband. Do everything you can for him. Make him feel appreciated. Be kind. Be loving. Pursue him. Make him feel like you love him and you cannot live without him. Be kind to him. Give. Share with him. Share your heart. Share your love with him. Make him believe you love him. And after you've convinced him, this minister says, after you've convinced him, after a couple of months, that you can't live without him, that's when you drop the bomb. That's when you tell him, Hey, I'm out. How do you think it feels? I'm done with you. I wash my hands of you. I divorce you. And the woman said to the minister, that's a great idea. I'm going to go home and do that immediately. So that's what the woman does. And a few months go by. And this woman, she played her part to a T. She loved her husband. She shared her life with him. She pleased him. She did everything she could to make him feel like she was the greatest and their relationship was the best. After a few months, the minister hadn't heard back from this woman. And so he tried to call her and she answered. And he said to her, hey, you never called back. Are you still going through with your plan to divorce your husband? And she she said to him, divorce him? Why would I divorce him? Never. I discovered I really do love him. You see, her actions had changed her feelings. This is charity. Sometimes Charity must act in defiance of how it feels. You see, charity is me acting in love before I feel in love for that particular person. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because it means that we don't need to feel love to act in love. You may not feel love for those you disagree with. You may not feel uh, love for those who believe differently than you do. You may not feel love for those who think differently than you do. You may not feel love for those who have different opinion than you. You may not feel love for those who vote like you. You may not feel love for those people who don't think the same way that you do. Charity is saying, even though we don't agree, I will still act in love towards you and for you. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Even though we spurned him, even though we disregarded him, even though we uh, sent him to a cross, still he loved us. Still he showed charity to us. You see, this is what the church should be known for, is that we may not always agree with people, but we will always love them. We all will always act in love towards them. Above all things, we are called to act in love towards those people. This does not mean we agree with someone. It means we act in love anyway. You see, the church is most like Christ when we are most unlike others, yet act in love anyway. See, this is charity. 
C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Do you live in charity? Who can you show charity to this week? Peter said that above all things, above all things, we are to act in love towards people. We're to have charity for people. This is what the church ought to be known for. Now look at what he says next in verse number nine. The most unexpected thing he says in verse number nine. He says, very quickly, he says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. So after Peter says to have charity for others, which is love and action, he says to have hospitality towards others. Isn't this odd that he says this? So he goes from saying above all else, he goes from this big thing, above all else, have charity for people, act in love towards people. And the second thing you'd think he'd say after that is, after you have charity towards all things, towards all people, like Jesus did, what you need to do, you'd think he'd say, what you need to do is, is you need to have the right theology. You need to believe the right things. This is the second most important thing. You need to, you would think he'd say something like, you need to sacrifice for others. You'd think he'd say something like, you need to live in holiness and separation and sanctification. But he doesn't say any of those things. He says, after he says, above all things have charity, he says, have hospitality. (laughs) It's the most unexpected thing. Because you don't really think of it as an important thing to say right after you say the most important thing. Have hospitality? Why does Peter say this? Odd. This doesn't seem important. So this is where the metaphor of the hospital comes back into play. So the church is supposed to be a hospital for the hurting, right? If you were to go to a hospital right now, did you know that it's illegal for a hospital to turn away someone who is in need because they have a serious injury? You know it's illegal for them? In a sense, they always have their doors open to the people. They can't turn them away. I mean, you think this is almost part of the Hippocratic Oath. They're, they're obligated to help people, regardless of who that person is, regardless of how they live, regardless of what they do, is to always have an open door. This is, this is law at a hospital. You have to treat someone who is in need or in a serious injury. They have, in a sense, an open door. They always have an open door. Well, that's hospitality. You see, hospitality, having an open door is is necessary in order to find healing. In a sense, hospitality is the first step to healing. And just as there is always an open door at a hospital, there should always be an open door to the church. You see, you can't change minds uh, from, from social media, but you can change minds up close. You can change minds from hospitality. Hospitality is the first step to healing. God is challenging us to be people of hospitality. Have a willingness and an openness to be hospitable to people. Let me encourage you this morning. Have hospitality in your heart and exemplified through your life. You know, I've never changed someone's mind on Facebook. I've never changed my mind through posting an Instagram picture. I've never changed someone's mind through tweeting on Twitter. I've never changed my mind through a Facebook post or from a clever comment on someone's Facebook feed. I've never changed someone's mind. You know, but I have had someone over to my home and served them a meal. I have had coffee with them 
and had a conversation with them and show that I care about how that person is doing and I care about that person's life, that opens a heart. You see, you can influence from a distance, but you impact up close. You know what you'll find when you practice hospitality? You know what you'll find when you have an open door to your home? An open home opens hearts in a way that few other things can. You know, I can preach to you guys all day long, but you know what really helps people is when I have them over to my home. I'm able to look at them and show them that I care. And then a heart will open up. You see, the church should be known to have an open door. The believers in the church should be known to have an open home, an open heart towards other people, regardless of who they are or what they believe or what they have done. You see, we're all busy. I get that. I get it. We're all busy. We all have schedules. We all have things to get done. And we have messes around the house that need to get cleaned or whatever. But make time in your schedule to be hospitable towards other people. You see, Romans chapter 12 says it best. Paul says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Lean in to hospitality. You know, interestingly, the word hospitality actually comes from the word hospital. And hospitals, as we know them, were first developed by Christians in the Roman Empire. You see, hospitality is who we are as believers. It's our legacy. It's something we've practiced for thousands of years since almost literally the beginning of the church. Christians were the first to build hospitals. Hospitality is who we are. Do you show hospitality to others? When was the last time you opened your home to other believers? When was the last time you had a conversation over a meal with another church family? Maybe you're thinking, oh, pastor, we've, we've had the, the virus, days of virus. We can't really, but what about before that? How often did you? You know, let's make it a practice now. We have a clean slate now. Let's show hospitality in our life. Now, let's see what Peter says about us as individuals and why, why we are important to the church. Look at verse number 10. Peter moves from this broad sense of how we're to act in a church and who we are as the church. Now he gets into the rubber meeting the road, so to speak. Now he's getting into why we are important as individuals to the church. Look at verse number 10. He says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So Peter challenges the churches to live with charity and hospitality in verse numbers, uh, verses number 7 and 8. And then he tells them why. He tells them why. Why should we be hospitable? Why should we show charity and live in charity? Because there's something God has put in you, in your life, to give to other people. You see, there is something that God has put you, God has given you a valuable gift to give to the church, to give through the church. God has put in you a gift, a spiritual gift, a divinely, uh, a divine something inside of you to give to others through the church. You have a purpose in the church that is greater than just filling a seat. God has given you a specific gift to use in the church. Scripture uses the metaphor of a body to describe this idea. The church is not a building, it's a body. It's an organism, it's a body. Every part of the body plays a specific role. If I was to ask you today, if, um, if you would mind 
parting with a finger? Just a small finger, maybe your pinky finger. You mind parting with a finger? Hey, do you guys, one of you guys mind parting with a finger? Just lobbing that thing off and being done with it, throwing down the garbage disposal or something. Do you mind parting with a finger? Just a small one. You're not going to miss it. You would say, well, yeah, I have a problem parting with a finger. I kind of like my fingers where they are and I need them. I need all the fingers. And maybe I would tell you, well, you don't really, it's not important. You would say, well, yeah, my fingers are kind of important. I kind of need them for a lot of things. Even the most, the smallest part of our body, we would say it's essential. It's important. It has a purpose. And the same is true in the church. The same is true when God placed you inside of the church. He said, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't how many, matter how much talent you have or don't have, doesn't matter how much education you do or don't have, you are important to the church. You have an essential part to play. And I've gifted you, God says, I've gifted you something for a specific part to play in the church. You see, you have a specific purpose. In the body of Christ, the church, you have a specific purpose and an essential part to play. You have a purpose and a part in the church. You know, it's like the only time I've uh, I've fixed a car problem with one of our cars. Years ago, we had a Honda Civic, and Hondas are good cars. But one morning, we went to our car, we went to our Honda, and the car wouldn't start. It wouldn't even budge. It wouldn't even turn over. And we, I thought to myself, what is the deal? And so I researched it. I think we were, we were, I was early, I was in the, the early days of marriage. So I really wanted to act like I knew stuff about cars. I didn't, absolutely, knew absolutely nothing. Put gas in the car. That's about it. So I go to the car, try to figure it out. And obviously can't figure it out. So what do you do? You go to Google, you go to YouTube, you look up videos. And I try to troubleshoot it a little bit. And did you know it turned out the, that Honda, the entire car, all hundreds of pounds of that car would not work because of one little electronic chip that was burnt out a $3 chip that all it needed to do was be replaced and then the car turned on completely fine. You see, every single part is essential. Even the smallest part. In the body of Christ, you are essential. You were meant for more than just filling a seat, than just attending, than just being there. You were meant to play an essential part. In the body of Christ, the, the, the big goal, the big plan that God has for this world, you play a part in it. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. God's given you a specific part to play in the church, and it's an essential part. Your spiritual gifts are meant to help move the cause of Christ forward in your community. You are meant to be a part of the body of Christ, and God has given you a specific part to play and a specific gift to use in the church. The enemy wants you to think that you're not important. The enemy wants you to think that you are unessential. The enemy wants you to think that you are not needed. Maybe you're not as talented. Maybe you're not as educated. Maybe you don't have as much free time. Maybe you don't make as much money as the next guy. Maybe you think you're too old. The enemy wants you to believe you are unimportant. But the truth is, it doesn't matter who you are or what you think you are not. God has an essential part for you to play. And you see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at this. He says, the apostle Paul, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. So the more you think you are unnecessary, God is saying, no, 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 you're all the more needed in the church. Sometimes we feel like we're unimportant to the church that we're a part of. God says differently. That's why in verse, first uh, Peter chapter four, verse number 10, Peter says that we need to be wise stewards. He says we need to be wise stewards, wise managers of the gifts God's given us because our gifts are important. God says, I want you to be a wise manager of the gift I've given you because this gift that I've given you, you may not think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal to me. The gift I've given you, I have given you. It's a big deal. 
Are you using the gifts God's given you to help build the body of Christ? You know, it's like the other day, I haven't been exercising that much, and I knelt down on one knee, and, and to my shame, I need to get in shape, uh, my entire leg started hurting because one little muscle hadn't been exercised and stretched. So I pulled my entire leg because of this one muscle when I went down to kneel on one knee. Do you know that when you're not functioning in the church and using the gift that God has given you, the entire church is hurt because of it? The entire church doesn't move forward like it could without you. You're an essential part of the church. You see, when one part of the body isn't functioning properly, the rest of the body will feel it. When one part of the body of Christ isn't functioning and exercising, the rest of the body will feel it. When one part of the body of Christ is functioning and exercising its gifts, it promotes the rest of the body. You see, the church is where we go to hear God's word and receive encouragement, but it's also more than that. It's so much more than that. The church is where we move the cause of Christ forward with the gifts and talents and abilities God has divinely given us. You see, what I love about this principle is that we as believers are all given different gifts and make up a unique part of the church. We do not all have to be the same, think the same, believe the same, behave the same in order to be a part of the body of Christ. We can be different, but moving in the same direction. And you see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at this. Verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Watch this. For the body is not one member, but many. You see, we are unified, but distinct. The church is one, but it's many. It's okay if people are not like you and are different from you. It's okay, it's okay if people disagree with you. It's okay if people don't think the same as you. We can all be unified and headed in the same direction anyway. And the best example of this are the individuals that followed Jesus while he was on earth. You take the very disciples and the people that were closest to Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector and really a traitor to his own people. But you look at Luke was a doctor. He was probably a wealthy man. You look at uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were blue-collar fishermen living with and, and following Jesus with Matthew, who was a tax collector and a traitor. And then you look at, uh, you look at Nathaniel. He had problems with being judgmental. You look at Thomas, was a pessimist. Simon the Zealot was the crazy political guy. You look at Mary Magdalene. She was formerly a demon-possessed woman. Yet all of these people were able to get along with each other. Yet all of these people followed Jesus. And not only did they follow Jesus, they were chosen by Jesus to follow Jesus. You see, do you think God made a mistake? Do you think Jesus made a mistake when he chose all these diverse, all these people that should never have gotten along, all to follow him? And they all, once Jesus left, built and led the first church there ever was, and they spread the gospel and turned the world upside down. All these people you would never think would get along changed the world. And Jesus chose them because of that. You think today is any different? You know God is going to choose a lot of different people to be in our church and to be in the church? It's okay if we're different. It's okay if we don't get along and have the same ideas and have the same beliefs. We can still move in the same direction. We can still serve Jesus together. Some of these individuals had little in common, little to nothing in common. And sometimes that's how it might feel with some of the other people that we know in the church. That is okay.
God is still going to move us forward. We're all part of the body of Christ anyway. God is telling a story through each of our lives. And that individual story is designed to be a part of a far bigger and grander story. And it's the story of the salvation of this world. You see, and we get to be a part of that along with everybody else. You know what I love is uh, uh, the medical shows. You ever watched a medical show where they're having a surgery? It's so cool. Love the medical shows and they're having the surgery. The person's on the gurney. They're out like a light. And you know what's so cool is that there's this one surgeon who's about to cut this patient open. But that one surgeon isn't alone. That one surgeon has nurses and OR nurses and technologists and anesthesiologists and all these regular nurses, all these people in this one room standing by to help this surgeon. They all play different parts. Some of them don't really do that much. Some of them might just hand a scalpel or a tool to the surgeon and that's it. Some of them might just look on. Some of them might just monitor some of the machines. But they all play an essential part in helping the lead surgeon heal that patient. You know, the church is much like that. Jesus, the great physician, is endeavoring to heal the hearts of people. And we, the church, are the ones he's chosen to assist him in this great surgery at this hospital, the church. Our gifts, our charity, our hospitality are essential to the church and the work that the great physician is doing at this church. The question is, will you serve alongside him and recognize that you are essential to the church?